Hello, and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and on this podcast, me and my good friend Ellie Cawthorn chat about Icelandic film. This week, we venture southwest to the capital city, Reykjavik, for the first Icelandic film of the 21st century, Baltasar Kormakur's 101 Reykjavik. Now, Ellie said in our introductory episode that this looked, and I quote, batshit. So let's find out if she was right. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not so bad, thanks. Yeah. Ready to chat 101 Reykjavik, or Reykjavik 101 as I keep calling it by accident. Yeah, no, 101 Reykjavik, very much so. Yeah, and it's definitely 101 Reykjavik because that's the name of the place in which it's set. So, you know, if you get that wrong, you're (laughs) you're getting Iceland wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I take it back. Uh, You hadn't seen this one either, had you? I mean, I should stop asking that. No, I had not seen this one. Never had it even crossed my radar, so I was brand new, fresh to it, yeah. Okay, cool. And before I ask you what you think of it, I think I might just read out a little synopsis as per usual. Um, Okay, so. 30-year-old slacker Hlina lives with his mum in Reykjavik. He has no job, few friends, and does nothing more than watch porn, drink, smoke weed, and have unfulfilling sex. When his mother's flamenco teacher Lola moves in, the two of them party and end up in bed together. Kleena's mum, Berglint, then announces that she's in a relationship with Lola and that Lola is having a baby. Unbeknownst to her, that baby might be her own son's. Does that sound dramatic? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does sound dramatic. And I have to say, I did not see that coming, so... Well, they just keep you guessing, these Icelanders, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, So, I should say, I think we spoke about it in the introduction. This was sort of the first film of the 21st century to come out of Iceland and it kind of kick-started modern storytelling in Icelandic cinema and it was the first film the debut film from Baltasar Kormakur who'd been an actor previously so with that in mind we should really think about it as a film from 2000 and not a film from and now. it very much is a film from 2000 it's basically like I, I mean, I made a time capsule in 2000, um, <laughs> buried it in my backyard, and this could be in that time capsule. It felt very of its time, shall we say. Sure did, yeah. Uh, and a bit of context on Iceland at the time. So Iceland in 2000 was obviously pre-financial crisis. The airlines had started flying to Iceland a lot more. It had been dubbed the new Ibiza. So it was well known for its nightlife. And really? Apparently so. And as someone who's been out in Reykjavik, it is pretty hardcore. Mm. I have to say, this film didn't make me really want to go out there. It all looked a bit skanky. (laughs) (laughs) It did. Uh, And that's probably because of who we're following. Yes, I think so. That is no, that's no diss to Reykjavik. I'm sure it's got a brilliant nightlife now. I know a lot of the advertising material around this film is like, yeah, it totally sells you on what it's like to be a 30 something going out in cool Reykjavik for a night out. And I was just thinking, well, I mean, they only really go to one place in the whole film. And yeah, it's not, it's not selling it. And I've been there. And it was much better when I'd been there. (laughs) But I don't think that this film really did show it to be the place to be. Because um, throughout he was saying, you know, that it was piss taking of Iceland and of Reykjavik to do nothing. So he said, for example, when they went to the flea market, here are the greatest cultural treasures of Iceland. And it was a heap of old junk. And he said, you know, even the ghosts are bored here. The only people who come here are the ones that were bought the ones that were born here mm-hmm. so i'm i think that's a slightly strange take on it to say it's um you know showing off iceland to be this hip edgy place because i think it kind of is a bit of a dig at iceland maybe it's certainly poking fun at itself but also yeah. if you compare this to if you compare what it's showing to the audience to what they probably knew of iceland 
before then, which is what we discussed before, just mountains, snow and sheep. That's very true. It definitely had that kind of duality, didn't it? That Very near the start, not the opening scenes, because they were something altogether different. <laughs> but we saw him on the mountain, in the snow, mm-hmm. in the dramatic landscapes. Mm-hmm. So it did say like, oh, here's what you think Iceland is. and then, But actually it's these seedy little pubs and back alleys and um, grimy nightclubs. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and it's... So the city has been massively developed since then. Obviously, it's been over 20 years. But the kind of core area of 101 Reykjavik and that the street that the place they go to, Café Barin, is on, is still basically the same. Uh, it's all corrugated metal buildings and tiny little... Yeah, why do they live in like a, a cow shed? Because and it's that... lovely inside. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's basically what the whole of downtown Reykjavik is. All these old corrugated metal buildings. Uh, there, obviously, there are more brick. I'm going to and... be getting some hate mail from Iceland after this, aren't I? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so yeah, it's it isn't the nicest thing to watch, but it is, in comparison to previous sort of cinematic stories, a much more contemporary and a much more down with the kids sort of story even though they're not children did you just say down with the kids i think i did yeah you made yourself sound like a granddad do you not think that's what they would have said back then probably is yeah uh but helena acts like a child i think that's the thing isn't it so we should talk about him because he is the central character of the film It's, it's basically his story over a few months living in Reykjavik in winter uh what (laughs) I think I have a clue what you might say but what did you think of him? I mean he was just a huge loser but I don't know whether I was meant to empathise a bit more with him and kind of understand that despondency but I just got very frustrated with him. I mean I never was a teenage boy so you can probably answer (laughs) this better than I can but I just didn't understand his his outlook or I found him very with his narration running throughout very kind of ponderous what is the meaning of my life and I struggled to have sympathy with him because I thought you're gonna have to get out there and find out if you want to know the meaning of life it's not gonna come to you in your grimy little um hobble of a room (laughs) no I well I basically agree with you for someone who is living in such a small place he really he hasn't gone anywhere he's barely left Reykjavik so he can't complain about what life and what the other country is like when he won't even travel 45 minutes but his his entire universe is that sort of downtown area and I yeah I couldn't understand why he was just such a asshole why did why he doesn't care about anything and <laughs> that outlook clearly hasn't come from his mother Well, that's exactly what I was thinking and a point I was going to raise that I think this idea of, oh, my life's so shit, I'm so despondent, would make sense if we were kind of given more of a steer as to where it came from. But it seemed a bit incongruous because he was clearly very smart. He was clearly very switched on and his his mum was great. She was um, engaged, she was caring she was loving and i thought why is she putting up with this crap (laughs) making his bed for him yeah totally um i I mean i guess you could say that his dad some they obviously broke up and his dad's an alcoholic so that Mm. might have led to some sort of that's true yeah i'm not sure we're given enough I guess it is a question as well, isn't it? One of the the things you always come up against in films is how much do you have to like the characters to get on board with the film? And I think that this is a prime example of that. That Mm -hmm. are we meant to like him and empathise with him are we meant to think he's kind of cool in that 2000s ironic <laughs> everything shit and I don't even care kind of way which I definitely think this is a slight flavour of 
I have a feeling you might be right, but he's just, there is nothing to empathise with. You know, his entire outlook is so negative that you can't latch on to anything to sort of understand why he feels like killing himself. Hmm. Something it kind of had resonances of for me in terms of just like that masculinity is you know like train spotting for example mm-hmm. where all the characters are quite terrible damaged people but also do terrible things but then they're posters on people's student walls and yeah. they're kind of horrible deeds have gone down in legend in a very almost kind of lads maggy type of way and this did have a, a whiff of that i think yeah definitely i mean i've got some notes here about both train spotting and human traffic. I've oh, written really? art house human traffic. Or there's a moment where Lola says to Cleaner that he's sleepwalking through life. Get yourself a life. And I was just, <laughs> yeah. all I could think was if he was in train spotting, maybe he would not choose life. <laughs> like <laughs> he's not even as happy as you know Renton in train spotting. Yeah. He has no motivation to get himself uh, out there in the world. But I think it it's a weird portrayal of it, isn't it? Because it's not like he is... It's not shown that he's kind of grappling with issues or that he is necessarily depressed in the way that we might think of it. It's more that he's kind of actively being provocative by saying, I'm not going to engage in life. I'm going to be a renegade and be a slacker it's like a choice he's making i did think actually as well there was a bit when when he's talking about social welfare Mm. and whether that's a dig at iceland's social welfare did you think that uh so he was saying you know i was brought up um oh i'm just on unemployment benefits and then when i get to 60 i'll be on my pension and then i'll die and that's it and i'll never need to work you think he thinks that the Icelandic welfare system is too generous? Yeah. Maybe. And he's just but like... That might be a complete misreading. No, I mean, I have to. I don't know anything about the Icelandic <laughs> welfare system in 2000. But he's certainly sponging and... But he, there's nothing there for him to do. Nothing that he wants to do. So why does he need to get a job? Because he doesn't need to pay for anything. Like he'll collect some glass bottles if he wants to get some change for cigarettes. Uh, but he doesn't have any other interests apparently so why should he get a job because he doesn't need to pay for anything he lives with his mum and he seems like fine with that like he apparently he's not fine with anything and wants to kill himself but he's just about happy enough to just scrounge and live with his mum yeah i do think there's something to be said for that kind of like despondency of living in a place where there's nothing to do and there's no opportunities. But it didn't necessarily seem like that was the case here. Like, it seemed like he could have done things if he had chosen to. Completely, yeah. Because it's a small country, of course, and there's not that much to do. But there is stuff, and he's doing some of it, but he's just not... He's not fully engaging with any of it. Uh, And, like, he's basically... He's got a girlfriend, but he doesn't care about her. And there's some heartbreaking scenes with mm. Hofi, her name is, when like when she brings around the Christmas present. <laughs> I was like, come on, you need to sack this guy off. Yeah, what an asshole. I, I do think um, if we're going to talk about the portrayal of Hofi, that that was quite a good example of... You can tell that this film was made by a man because... The portrayal of her, I thought, was quite um, two-dimensional and also unrealistic in that she was just followed him around like some kind of little dog, gave him a Christmas present, things like that. When you're thinking, why would you bother? And then became this kind of screaming banshee <laughs> afterwards. And I thought she wasn't really given a fair crack. But some of the other female characters were definitely more interestingly drawn. But I, I thought that she was... You could tell that that was a woman's role written by a man. Do you think? I, mm-hmm. I, that's absolutely fair enough. I think she she veers wildly from just being 
super into him to going absolutely crazy. Um, mm. And I mean, there aren't that many people. That's maybe one defense that she's with <laughs> as to why she's with or constantly trying to stay with Lena. She, who else could she go to? Like he talks about have everyone having had everyone in that. I'm going to read it out that line, which sounds like it's trying to ape train spotting, which is mm. here we go. <clears throat> the boozer loser blues piss up pickup place. Old meat served on every table. Recycled jawbones kissing. Pickled bollocks in pussy juice. Everybody's had everybody. <laughs> That's a lovely poem. Is it? Is it poetic? I think it's just horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was quite. I think some of the depictions of like sex and stuff in this were quite gross. Like in the bars when people were kissing, mm-hmm. it was like filthy stopping oh. in a, in quite a unappealing, disgusting way. Which I wonder whether that was intentional. I think it probably was. Uh, I mean, it, so it goes back to this whole thing about nightlife in Reykjavik. So they, the way it works is they go out Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday, but that's it. Uh, the bars are open much later those two nights, Friday, Saturday. Oh, really? Yeah, people get drunk at home until at least 12, but probably two. And then they go out and party for three hours in the morning. And you can imagine that by that time, everyone is massively like off their face. So it could definitely result in the kind of behavior you were describing. (laughs) Having been there, I haven't, I didn't see anything quite that sort of You didn't engage in any such practices. I'm not saying I wouldn't have, but I didn't. (laughs) Oh dear. Well, it definitely had that kind of escape valve feeling in the film, didn't it? The party scenes. So, like, you get the kind of empty streets with everyone wrapped up in a coat in the cold. And then you just get the kind of bursts of insanity at the parties, which I did think was kind of well conveyed. Yeah, it, it felt it felt like they had uh, they were letting letting themselves go for a bit. I tell you who who I really, really hated in those party scenes. Mm-hmm. The kind of shit Vin. All I can think of is him as a shit Vince Vaughn with a the shit lizard. Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh, the guy who owns the lizard. Yeah. Thrister. So that's yeah. that's actually the director. That's Baltasar Kormakov. <gasps> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Um. Who is? A, who was at that point a very well-known actor? He'd been, I think, at the National Theatre of Iceland and all of this. But he's obviously, and he's come out and said, like, this was just a depiction of basically my life at the time. Okay. So he knew what he was filming. And so I assume that a lot of what happens is relatively true to life. Uh, yeah. But I, I get why you wouldn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he, he ends up with Hofi as well. Yeah, which I thought. Come on, she really... I thought you had low standards before, and now they've slipped <laughs> even lower. Yeah, he's a strange character. All his friends are weird. So his, so it's basically him. He's in like a friendship triangle, isn't he, with Thrister mm. and Mary. And Mary is played by a guy called Olafur Dari Olafsson, who is another massive name in Icelandic acting. He plays the central character in Trapped, the TV series. Uh, and he's in lots and lots of other stuff. In, and he's even made it over to Hollywood. Um, I, he's in a Liam Neeson film. I think it's A Walk Among the Tombstones. Anyway, so you've got these three guys. The main guy, uh, Hilmir Snyer Gudnason, is apparently a you know respected actor. I don't recognise him from anything else that I've seen. But those three as a, as a sort of triumvirate, like they're mm. big news. But in this film... They're just the worst. <laughs> I have to say, actually, for all my like feelings about this film or, or criticism of it, I wouldn't say anything against the actors or any of the performances. In fact, I thought all the performances were really quite good. Mm-hmm. It was. It's more the characters that, you know, drove me a bit insane. Yeah. Well, 
There you go. They're they're convincingly play. Yeah, they're convincingly played for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about Hlinur and his friends, but we should talk about the uh, the other central character more, Lola, played by mm. Victoria Abril, who is a Spanish lady. She teaches flamenco to his mother and she comes to stay for Christmas, bringing with her a sort of warm, exotic, mm. erotic charm, <laughs> I suppose. Yes, 100%. I mean, she was very magnetic, I think I would say. Mm-hmm. She definitely, and that warmth you say, um, definitely kind of exudes from her. She's like amazing to watch on screen, isn't she? Yeah. She draws all the attention and definitely to me was 100% the most engaging or engaging character that I invested in the most in the film. Even if she was kind of scatty and erratic in that sort of Kate Winslet in um, Eternal Sunshine in the Spotless Mind kind of way. Do you think? She was quite, oh, you know, I'm just free. I do what I want. I... Did you not get a sense of that from her? Yeah. Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I mean, she's Ooh. a prime Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I'm not sure about that. She's better drawn than a lot of Manic Pixie Dream Girls. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, but yeah, she's kind of her own person and freewheeling. But also, I don't know, she she does things that I sort of don't... I'm not sure are positives as well. But we'll come mm. to that. But So she turns up and she's just this... Amazing breath of, fresh air. breath of fresh air, yeah. Amazing kind of just you you're in, you're instantly taken in by her and you're sort of right, okay, I'd rather know much more about you than this slacker dude here. But it will be interesting to see how you sort of how they interact with each other. And she is very funny and she almost like she knows who he is before he's even had a chance to talk to her or show how much how little he does. Yeah, she, she I guess, is kind of like the external perspective in the fact that she's coming in from outside and she does see him for who he is, doesn't she, in a way mm-hmm. that clearly his mum can't for whatever reason. She definitely has a kind of clear-sighted vision of him and the way that she's saying, you know, you need to get out, you need to see the world. And a lot of what she says throughout the film, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. you that kind of makes sense. And I thought it was interesting, that dynamic between them, that like, even on the fireworks on New Year's Eve, she's saying, come out on the balcony, see the fireworks. And he says, you know, they look better on TV. Let's watch them from inside, (laughs) which is a perfect kind of encapsulation of their relationship and their outlook, both of them. Well, definitely, definitely his. Because she's, oh, she's obviously not a tourist, but she is a foreigner. So Mm -hmm. I don't, we don't know how many times she's been to the Reykjavik New Year's, which is absolutely one massive party. Like the whole city's just covered in smoke because there's just, everyone's just setting fireworks off. I love that moment when the kids are setting fireworks off at the Domino's guy. Yeah, which again was that kind of, um, you know, the dark side of Reykjavik portrayed. Maybe, I think they were just having a bit of fun, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would not call throwing fireworks at somebody fun, but you know, each their own. No, I mean, it's it's very dangerous. Don't throw fireworks at other people, everyone. But you're right, yeah, I think that's quite, that's a good scene that describes like their two outlooks on life. So yeah, so Lola's this foreigner who comes in and a lot of, I think it might be really the first time that Icelandic films focused on someone from outside of the country and it's quite refreshing to see someone else's perspective especially when Mm. the main perspective of Iceland is from someone who just doesn't give a shit about their country (laughs) we've gone from a film that's deeply kind of rooted in the traditions of the old way and this is Iceland and we're honored to be these people and then this guy is just not interested in it at all and having someone come in from the outside and help throw a new perspective on it is really interesting. Yeah. Something that I kind of wish had been, we'd had a bit more insight into was her relationship with the mum. Yeah. Because we were kind of just thrown it as like, oh, by the way, this has happened. And we never really got to see them 
develop as a couple or, or see anything about their relationship and I was quite intrigued by that because they you know they wouldn't weren't the most logical couple of all time in <laughs> no. that um Lola is you know this young freewheeling dance teacher life and soul of the party and then she's gone for an older woman who is more settled mature by all accounts just quite placid which is interesting yeah i wonder whether that comes from like you said it being a 30 something year old male perspective and not knowing Mm. how to draw that kind of relationship more fully yeah possibly and it was interesting the way some of the ways that we see lola are definitely kind of through that that perspective that you mentioned there so which i I don't i'm just not sure the extent to which it's self-aware or not so i don't want to say it's misogynist because it might be self-aware so when we're seeing hilner saying cleaner cleaner it's funny because even the packaging on the dvd gets it wrong twice (laughs) really the um the synopsis on the back calls him hilmir and then (laughs) on the dvd itself on the menus it calls him hilner but his name is cleaner good god they needed a proofreader on that (laughs) cleaner we hear his narration saying she's trying to make me obsessed with her it's yes. one of the things he says. And he says that she's one of those types you shouldn't trust, which is like classic um, stalker adjacent um, mm-hmm. attitude. Very, very incel. Um, but obviously we're presented that through him. So the extent to which we're meant to kind of invest in that, I'm not really sure or whether we're meant to judge him and think, what a sad sack that he's kind of viewing her that way. How did you see uh, that? I think... I, th- I think it's self-aware enough that when he says, oh, she's she's gone away because she wants me to think about her, that all that stuff. I think the film is clever enough to know we know he's already obsessed with her and it's not her who's yeah. obsessed. So I think that, yeah, I think Cleaner is just a bit of a sad sack, like you say, and we should be seeing him like that. And yeah. so... Uh, talking about that that relationship between Lola and his mum, like we're seeing it from maybe from his perspective, like because he doesn't really yeah. care, which is the is the upshot of the whole thing. It's like, oh okay, fine. I like, even even after he finds out he might be the baby's father, because we should say Lola and Helena sleep together. There's a great moment while they're having sex. And he just sort of notices that both wearing the same underwear. <laughs> I totally missed that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. But uh, <laughs> I think what the most, the funniest stuff about this film are the little tiny kind of very small vignettes that happen mm. uh, throughout the film. But that's one of them. Yeah. But so they sleep together and then almost instantly his mum's like, I want to talk to you. So he's thinking, oh, do I need to confess that I slept with our visitor? And then, and then she tells him they're in a relationship, <laughs> and he's just kind of like, oh, "Oh, I'm kind of let off the hook here." Uh, and I think he even says, "Fine with me." Mm. Well, I did think as well that it, it's kind of nonchalance about same-sex relationships for for the year two thousand. Yeah, it's probably one of the more progressive aspects of it compared to other stuff. I think possibly even compared to gender. Um, and so I did have a like a look at. LGBT um, history in Iceland and it is you know famously very progressive so I mean they had same-sex marriage was legal from 2010 which is four years before we had it here Uh, but same-sex activity was decriminalized in 1940 which is decades and decades before in the UK so I guess but I mean obviously it's not wholly um, woke as we would say, <laughs> <laughs> in that, you know, um, he's constantly kind of saying, oh, is she my new dad, my new stepdad? <laughs> or she's the, the, she is the dad of the child. And I was thinking, does there have to be a dad of the child? I, I had that <laughs> exact demons, yeah. Which is very much kind of feels outdated. But obviously this is now 21 years mm-hmm. old. So I think for, I think for how old it is i was surprised 
at the kind of I don't know if it was actively progressive I mean it, but it was very kind of not fussed yeah <laughs> about things and also I guess in the end we did kind of get a a happy families picture that was not obviously a traditional nuclear family which you really wouldn't have seen much in like British culture in 2000 I don't think necessarily no I, I guess not and it, I just it's I imagine that a lot of the reaction, his cleaners' reactions, if you ask the director now, he would react differently. But like you said, I think it's just I don't think I don't think the same sex relationship was put in there to be like, look what we've done. It was just <laughs> that actually that kind of thing wasn't that abnormal. Considering it's such a small country as well. Uh, they are really they've always they've been are clearly been quite progressive on the whole lgbtq plus stuff and i think it did kind of it by making it a same-sex relationship it does kind of open up the interesting dynamics of mother and son sexual <clears throat> creepy vibes yep. oedipal situation as well that dream sequence where he's like he's dreaming about sleeping with lola then he's dreaming about lola sleeping with his mum, which is not nice (laughs) to dream about and then he's dreaming about sleeping with his own mum. it's like very on the very on the nose but also very because that i thought that that did it in a very on the nose way and that was almost unnecessary so like earlier on there was the bit where he he was remembering being a child sleeping next to his Mm mum. Treat, um, you know, just innocently as a child, and then he wakes up and he's next to the naked Lola, and the parallels there are like very clear. Sure, but it's not very as funny, obvious. is it? <laughs> no, it's. I mean, for pure gags, and also later on when he sleeps with that older woman who looks a lot like his mum. Yeah, that was strange because he—that's when he's just been. Has he just been to see the baby that's been born, and he's like, "Okay, there's a baby." Now I'll just, yeah, what what kind of a reaction is that? It's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's any nor any person's logical reaction or worst reaction. <laughs> I think Freud would have a lot to say mm. about this film, for sure. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It was a weird. One question that I thought wasn't really fleshed out, this is just like an actual just plot question. Mm is that had Berglund, the mum, and Lola planned to have a, said, Lola, you go out and get pregnant and we'll have this child together, or had Lola kind of gone off grid, got pregnant, and then come back and said, oh, why I'm pregnant, why don't we keep it? Yeah, I'm not sure. that The whole thing is slightly unclear. At one point, Lola even says, "It might. it's not your baby, I went to a party in Akranis. Like, but it's never clarified. She never put, she never says the words, it's your baby to clean her. Uh, so there's that. And then you wonder, yeah, did they plan to have a baby at all? Uh, and then this is the thing I wasn't sure about with Lola is that if she was serious about having a relationship with Berglund, why did she sleep with his son? That is a massive negative on her character, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can be freewheeling all you like, but like, <laughs> don't sleep with the son of the woman you're in a relationship with. Yeah, that definitely seemed like a bit of a blind spot. I feel like it almost seems as though there was this... Um, they thought, right, what would be really weird and kind of out there premise would be if this guy slept with someone and then it turned out that it was actually his mum's girlfriend, mm-hmm. that would be crazy and out there. Let's not worry too much about the logistics or the mechanics <laughs> or the motivations of how any of that happened. Let's just kind of brush them under the carpet and crack on with the premise. Yeah. Is what it felt like to me. Maybe. And it, yeah, it's a film about him. It's not a film about them. Mm. It's about his reaction to the situation rather than what the actual situation is to other people.
vara så haltin illum anda. Er þetta kannski það að vera bísexual? Var þetta kannski kallmaðurinn í henni? Í samanbörðu við hana, þennan trans sem hún var í, þá var ég bara eins og einhver sæðiskjafi. Kannski er kynlíf ekkert fyrir kallmenn. I was going to say that this this kind of love triangle thing of everybody being interconnected as in within the three people in that love triangle mm. in the family does have kind of echoes of you know the the lovely little poem you recited <laughs> earlier about everybody <laughs> everybody's had everybody and this idea of everybody being in the same dna chain i think he says in the same mm. scene that you know something that's come up before again that we spoke about is the small population in Iceland and how and that that issue yeah and that did feel like a kind of weird play on this issue that the fact that this child is going to be his half stepbrother yeah his half brother yeah stepbrother his will it be his his stepbrother because <laughs> Lola isn't his dad his mum yeah yeah his stepbrother and his child, this kind of fucked up, um, you know, genetic mm-hmm. sequence of everybody being intermingled with each other. Yeah, it's, it is weird because, yeah, you've got the whole Iceland, the whole small population thing, and then you've got one foreigner coming in. And like, you can imagine everyone is... Everyone might be pile on and be like, no, I want the foreigner. I want the foreigner. And that's kind of happened here. And somehow she's managed to do do it literally with two of the same family. Uh, and it's like instantly, as soon as someone out from the outside comes in, they're almost indoctrinated into the this strange, <laughs> yeah. the strange kind of familial melting pot yeah it's very odd i was a bit like lowly you've made an interesting life choice here by moving to Reykjavik and getting involved in this strange dynamic between this yeah <laughs> mother and son she do, she she is that kind of unknown outsider isn't she because you don't know why she's there why is she even there she's teaching flamenco fine is that a full-time job in Reykjavik probably not <laughs> uh is she planning to stay or was she planning to stay? Because clearly now she is. Mm. So I don't I don't really understand Lola's motivations in any at any point. But she is an engaging character. Yeah. I wonder like as a lot of comparisons have been drawn to the fact that she was in a lot of early Almodabar films. Mm. And I guess there's something to the character that you could see in an Almodabar film, this kind of person who comes in and changes someone's life uh Mm. but maybe the character wasn't drawn that well but there are i read that she had to be persuaded like five times to be on to be in the film because it's like oh really why would i go to iceland to film a film it's really cold (laughs) it's absolutely freezing and then her character of course is moaning about the cold quite a lot as well Um, (laughs) as you might coming from a hot country I just what kind of life choice makes you go you know what I'm just gonna go to Iceland and teach flamenco (sighs) but of the people that I know I'm most likely to do that not teach flamenco but I would love to try it out (laughs) to try living in Reykjavik for a while but um I thought you meant try out teaching flamenco I wouldn't mind trying flamenco actually but not (laughs) probably not in Reykjavik I could do that here uh you know I do love that that first scene we get of Lola teaching flamenco. She's literally dancing to a version of Lola by the Kinks. Yes. So I found that a bit on the nose. Really? You know where (laughs) (laughs) when music and films is like, this is what's happening in the plot. Um, And this was like, this is about a woman called Lola. Her name is Lola. That's all it is there, um, isn't it? It's not telling you anything <laughs> yeah. else about the scenes. But I I don't know. How did you feel about the use no. of Lola? I Well, 
Yeah, it's the first thing you notice. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Lola, funny. But then it's used so many times in different ways. It's like, mm. do I? I? I couldn't tell. I don't think I like it that much. I don't really like the soundtrack. No, because it's by partly by Damon Albarn, right? Yeah, so Damon Albarn and Einarun Benedictsson, who was in The Sugar Cubes with Björk, they did it together. Uh, but I don't, it doesn't sound like anything that I've heard either of them do, really. Yeah, I have to say I was not a fan. Like, it was quite intrusive at points, I thought. Mm-hmm. I did, I'm not sure that it aided the story much. I thought it definitely aided the sense of, like, this is a cool film. Like, <laughs> cool 2000s film for hip counterculture dudes in the kind of way that, like... I'm imagining like Tom Cruise wearing like wraparound sunglasses, that kind of yeah, two thousands vibe. But also, because it doesn't sound like anything they've done before, like it's not even like it. I don't know. We've talked we talked about Train Spotting, and I mentioned Human Traffic as well. Both of those are soundtrack by popular hits of the time, yeah. and this doesn't have any of that. Not that we would ex- necessarily expect to hear like pop British pop or even Icelandic pop. But it's all just like bleep bloop a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, it, didn't, it didn't draw me in. It didn't make me feel anything. And all of the Lola stuff was just a bit like, oh, there's another version of Lola. Because the lyrics to Lola, which you can sing along in your head as it's happening, they don't relate to the story at all. No, no one even drinks <laughs> yeah. a cherry Coke. <laughs> If they had, that would have been fine then. Yeah. I would have all made perfect sense if that had been the case. But talking of Damon Albarn, he supposedly had a stake in Café Barin, which is the bar they're at. And here's this is some fact and anecdote time. Um, so it's sort of myth that he was involved and had like a 0.5% stake in Café Barin. But I don't think he did. He used to hang out there a lot in the 90s. Which is why this kind of myth came into being. But actually, it was part owned by Kormakur himself. uh, And he also lived about two doors down from it. So it's all, like I said, it's all very kind of incestuous. It's all about Mm. the world that the director knew. Mm -hmm. It's still there. Café Baron is still there. It has a big sign, like a underground tube station sign, uh, which is cool. And it is a really cool place. I saw a band called Utathur there, uh, the singer of which is now the singer of Dreamwife, Raquel Mjöl. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So that's quite cool. And it's nice to have had, like, experienced a gig in that building. Because yeah. a lot of these bars, they are cafes in the day. They're pretty calm and quiet. And in the evening, they'll have DJs or bands. And then after that, they'll just turn into clubs and everyone will go crazy. So... They're like these multi-purpose venues, but every single bar is like that. That's my favourite kind of venue. Is it? Where you can go in in the morning, get yourself a coffee, have lunch, Mm -hmm. have an afternoon beer, have some dinner, and then it turns into a club. So you just never leave? (laughs) Well, I know I like to have, you know, I like to have the options there. Yeah. Got more of a relaxed vibe. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And I think part of the culture in Iceland is not to stay in the same place at all night, which is exactly what okay. Cleaner seems to do. But everyone kinds of bar hops. But they definitely had the set. They gave the sense in those scenes, didn't they, that everyone in the in that bar, it was a locals bar, you know, and everybody there knew each mm-hmm. other. It was almost more like a house party than a bar, wasn't it? Yeah. Like we even see a house party and it's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually really, I like the house party scene because you just, mm. you get another comment on the whole everyone's sleeping with each other thing where he's mm. like cleaners there watching the couple just having sex like so casually he's just lights up a cigarette again watches them have sex yeah, I, Icelandic intercourse he calls it well one question you had for me is he just a loser or is he actually evil mm. that to me is a tick in the possibly actually just a terrible person column yeah <laughs> yeah well he doesn't need to be in there and disrupting their night Although there's definitely some kind of like modern consent law being broken there. Oh, yeah. I think there's probably quite a lot of laws 
or <clears throat> just general <laughs> politeness rules being broken throughout this film. Yeah. But I, it's funny when the, the girl whose house party it is comes in and because she's been drawn to the fact that this, that this guy's watching them having sex, she finds out that it's actually her boyfriend, which is, which is brilliant. <laughs> and again, is another maybe potentially a comment on everyone sleeping with mm. each other. He's always smoking as well. Like the smoking in the bar just got me thinking, remember when that was a thing? And I mean, not that I ever smoked, but it's just like, oh, yeah, that adds to that horrible seedy vibe mm. doesn't it yeah and it was probably mm. supposed to be really cool then yeah but now it just looks kind of horrible and desperate yeah i think that that was kind of my takeaway just from the film as a whole this this like oh isn't it cool to not give a damn mm. kind of vibe running throughout it yeah so that's like it's that whole it's the big question is like should we give a shit like cleaner doesn't care about anything should we care that he doesn't care i struggle i wonder if i'd have watched this when i was 17 perhaps mm. and thought oh yeah that's really edgy and cool but now you know when i'm a bit older with boring adult responsibilities <laughs> i think turning into an old woman and i just think a bit good god man get a grip yeah i agree i totally agree i just there's nothing about him is cool. Nothing about him, nothing that he does is, looks particularly fun. And just his response to everything is so depressing and pessimistic. I'm just like, come on, man. Like they even, I, I mean, it sounds stupid maybe or simple, but like he walks past all these places which he takes for granted. Like he, you see them at one point next to Chernin, the, the big lake outside City Hall. You see them at Kolaportith, which is, it should be fun. Like, they even make a joke <laughs> that there's an old lady selling animal porn. Like, that, he, that, the whole, seeing these places that he takes for granted, actually, when I go, when I've been, I'm like, these are really, these, I may, yeah, maybe it's a slight mm. touristy kind of view from my, from my point of view, but, like, these places are cool, man. Just appreciate mm. them a bit more. And the same with, like, all yeah. the churches. I mean, not that he comments on them, but... You know, you see at one point Halgrim's Kirkia and he's just, he's walking past it. It's do, looming over Reykjavik and it's nothing to him. Reykjavik is nothing, is it? And it is. Mm. It bloody is. Little drinker no karatra. Over the Lola mamas. Oh, mamma papas. It was an interesting move, wasn't it, at the end to see him kind of redeemed in a sense. I feel like it might have been a bolder choice to have just left him. On the mountainside. Either on, yeah, on the mountainside or despondent and just still kind of not giving a crap. But interestingly, he kind of had given out to the man almost, become the man, the parking attendant. Yeah, I think it's the thing that it's the thing that the film struggles with is actually having something real to say or belief in what it's doing, because like he ends up as a parking attendant, which is a throwback to the joke about him putting money in parking meters just to mm. piss the council off. But yeah, he's... Which I did enjoy. Uh, which is very... It is funny. But he, yeah, he's working for the for the council. He seems to have completely changed his life around based on the fact that he's now a father, but we don't know whether he's actually playing the role of father. Recognised as a father, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is... It's that thing of he's gone from I'm going to kill myself 
to now I can't be bothered to kill myself because it's now <laughs> now it's raining. I can't lie here and be cold until I die. Mm. So he's given up on killing himself. But then, like that, he's gone and got himself a job, and he seems to be engaging with Lola and his mum and the baby. Which I feel like we should then have thought. Oh, this is good because the moral of the story is he got it all together in the end and he was redeemed by the love of his own child. But in the end, I just kind of thought, well, yeah, he should have been doing this all along. Well, yeah. (laughs) So unsympathetic. But also Lola and his mum, well, Lola, I don't think his mum knows, but Lola doesn't expect anything from him, does she? Not sure. Yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a jumble, a bit confusing. Yeah, it's like it's not jumble. really doesn't really focus and engage with any specific point at any moment throughout the film, which I think mm-hmm. is partly why it's quite hard to discuss in a very specific way, because the narrative threads don't continue and they don't get built on. And so just seeing him suddenly being a parking attendant, it's kind of like, right, well, is that that's a joke, but it's also true. <laughs> but yeah, weird. Mm. I think it's interesting because I feel like I've been very like negative about him but I just want to say I don't have anything against slackers <laughs> you know like I'm thinking of like Bill and Ted love them yeah you know? they were like spaced out slacker dudes but they had hearts of gold they wanted to learn about history you know they were interested in the world they weren't mean to anyone so it's true you can be a slacker in inverted commas and engage with stuff and have adventures and have fun whereas Lena's really he's not he's not that kind of person he's the kind of slackers maybe even the wrong word I don't even know Mm. there's probably another word to describe people who just don't care about anything Mm. but also he he did he was he, yeah, he could be quite. He could be cruel though, as well. So when he's saying to Hopi, "Oh, you know, you're pregnant. You should get an abortion." And then when she says to him, "Yeah, I've got an abortion," he says, "What without telling me?" And it's you think, well, actually quite horrible behavior at points. Not just kind of despondent. True. He's clearly not thought about that baby at all. He's just self-obsessed, isn't he? He's like. Yeah. If she'd had the baby, his response would have been, why did you have the baby? Why wasn't I consulted? And also intriguing kind of parallel with the final ending that he was so unengaged with the premise of this baby that was going to be his mm-hmm. anyway. And then this other baby it somehow redeems his life and makes him him turn it around. But that baby is around and it is his definitely Mm. whereas the other one was the it was his the girlfriend that he didn't care for and he wasn't sure he was even the father and so i'm not that i'm defending cleaner in any way (laughs) if what he does what he says is horrible and the scene at the library when he's he's clearly gone to check if she's had an abortion and she comes running out that whole thing is despicable Mm. and so there is a difference between lola's baby and Hofi's non-baby but really he's just I don't know I don't he's not a slacker he's just he's something worse than a slacker is what I'm trying to say (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah that that ending is I think it's supposed to be funny and it's sort of a wryly funny moment it doesn't mean Mm. much other than a throwback but I think like I said before the best parts of this film are those throwaway funny moments like yeah. like the sex pants thing and uh, and <laughs> the the parking meters was was did anything else catch your attention make you laugh well the lizard did make me did laugh it? It, when it was just clinging <laughs> on to for dear life because it looked so <laughs> frozen on somebody's shoulder i thought this poor lizard yeah this i felt party. pretty bad for it and also the um the a bit of non-sexual nudity is always funny isn't it so the bit that initially made me laugh or and also kind of cringe at the same time was when at the very beginning when Hilner's in his bath mm-hmm. and get and his mum comes in and you know it's like hello son here's your <laughs> towel yeah <laughs> and the, thought, it's Ugh. a comical setup just having a bath in the 
kitchen living room area yeah i love that i'd love to have a bath under my sofa i i because i was like what the hell why is there a bath in the corner and then burglin just puts the sofa bit down i was like yeah fair enough could live with that yeah that's pretty funny what about this the the one not the flashbacks the dream sequence when he's he's at his sister's for, for christmas dinner the awkward family dinner and then he just has this random dream sequence where he just shotguns everyone kills them all again again kills them all again i thought okay these guys are boring i'll accept yeah. that they're really boring as hell but they're not that bad no and like it's kind of an accepted thing isn't it that families at christmas can get pretty yeah. boring like get that's not it. enough of an excuse for you to be disillusioned with life <laughs> <laughs> for you to get your machine yeah. out or to give a child a cigarette yeah that's pretty abhorrent behavior too <laughs> there is some kind of perverse pleasure in those moments of um misbehavior has to yeah be said. but it doesn't support the film and and i think <laughs> yeah while it is funny it's just a bit of a it's kind of a letdown don't you think overall for what it promises the film it doesn't really deliver that much mm. i don't think that balthazar kumaka is going to be very happy with this conversation about this film <laughs> probably not but it's a it was a good foundation it got him his director credit mm. and he's now basically the biggest name in icelandic directing producing like he he's built and owns one of the biggest studios in iceland rvk they make trapped they make films every year uh, and he's made a lot better films since this as well. And we'll discuss okay, one or two of them, feel, I'm sure. I won't feel too bad. No, don't then. feel too bad. Like, he's doing all right. Um, and it's <laughs> not that I, well, I don't hate this film, but it's just a bit like, you know, I don't know. Here's a, it, if you were taught, if this was a British film, it would just kind of, it wouldn't be missed, would it? You can tell it's an early film in someone's career that they've made to make a statement, to be slightly provocative and to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's the 2000s, we don't give a mm-hmm. fuck, which it does all that quite neatly and quite efficiently. It's like, this is new Iceland- This is the new generation of Icelandic cinema. We're going to cover the things you've not seen before. This is modern, this is contemporary, and uh, let's see where we can go from here. Oh, so... Where can we go from here? What are we going to do next? Well, now, well, so next, what a segue. Because <laughs> next week, we're going to talk about a much more recent film called Let Me Fool, which is set in modern Reykjavik amongst modern teens uh, and deals with drug addiction and sort of the underbelly of Reykjavik. Rather than the nightlife, we're going a bit more deep and deeper and darker. Yeah. I'm very excited about this one. A bit of an update on um, 20 years on. Yes, exactly. Let's see what's happened to Reykjavik <laughs> since uh, since Kormakur came on the scene and since alcohol and tourists uh, took over. See you next week. And there we are. 101 Reykjavik. Thanks again to Ellie for joining me to discuss a strange but important milestone in the history of Icelandic film. Baltasar Kormakur is one of the more successful and prolific Icelandic directors, so we'll be seeing him again very soon. But next up, we're staying in Reykjavik to discuss a film that perhaps wouldn't exist without 101 Reykjavik. Baldfin Seta's Let Me Fall, or Lomerath Fatla, came out almost 20 years later and shows us what Reykjavik is like for a specific group of youths in the late 2010s. It's a pretty hard-hitting and eye-opening film, but one that's a must-see. Unlike this week's film, Let Me Fool is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, and the apps tell me it can also be rented on Sky Store, Chili, and Apple TV. So if you haven't seen it, and statistics suggest you haven't, go and watch it and join us again next week for the chat. In the meantime, come follow and talk to us on Twitter, where we're at kvikmindapod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. See you then. Tak bless. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>